Martin Atkins is a joy. Now, I'm not sure joy is the right word. If you follow him on Twitter, you get a blast every day telling you to get out of bed. Martin is someone who has taken life as a bull by the horns and has created so many different music adventures and businesses, and each of them built off of accidents. Enjoy this far-ranging conversation. Hopefully you got a chance to hear him at South by Southwest. Actually, when this when this show comes out this week, I've enjoyed him at South by every year. We've had him come on to Creative Innovators because he totally is a creative innovator. And we start out actually with him showing us via Zoom. It's hard to kind of see it and hear it at the same time. His home office studio where he's been building things out with his sons. And he'll talk about how he became a drummer at age nine, how he ended up coming into uh, Johnny Rotten's band and kind of pushing his way in, but how he has built a business upon business in the music business, including teaching and writing in his books. I'll get to the episode. Enjoy Martin I'm, I'm I'm doing a bunch of things at the moment. We just did a double live red vinyl gatefold sleeve, hand screened glow in the dark album for my band pig face which um which just kind of halfway through you're just like why are we doing this i could have just written the check to the printer but then here we are i've got three of my four boys are helping me to print like hold on a minute go and clean the background screen i've got day glow pink i've got blue silver gold red purple I want to see this album in 10 different colors. And part of it, I can fill in backwards and go, that's me being an entrepreneur because one person is going to want all of the 10 colors, you know, but it's also me just being, it's just me being an artist playing around. I want to see all these different ones. I want to go, Ooh, you know, I want to say to my band members, which color do you want? You know? So, I was working on that, which just kind of rechecked the box of DIY, the do-it-yourself punk thing that I came through in the late 70s. Um, I'm working on new classes, new curriculum, um, and that's coming together very well. I have a, a revenue stream class, which has a column for story, a column for social capital, a column for longevity and myth, because these are all the things that I deal in now. Wow. You know? Um, And so... Now, is this at the university or this is in your own world? It's it's my world. And obviously that's offered through Millican University, but I'm develop. They let me develop these things. And it's like, ah, I ran it last semester and was in grabbing for the thing that tied everything together. I didn't quite get there. But I, you know, I don't know why I thought I would at the first go round. But I, I'm also celebrating anniversaries. So it was the 30th anniversary of an album I made with a band called Killing Joke called Extremities, and I didn't realize it till five days before. And I'm like, just announced this event. 280 people signed up. Um, 
And then uh, I've got, uh, well, you, maybe you can see it over here. You see the dollar bill there. That's a part of scenery uh -huh. uh, from, from, uh, that I made to, to film a video in 1990. So I found the screen and I screen printed on this like $10 sheets of paper, museum quality paper. I screen printed these, these really crisp dollar bills using the original screen that I hadn't touched for 30 years. And then in the same way that we did 30 years ago, grab some spray paint and spray painting these dollar bills on the exactly on the 30th anniversary that we did it. And that felt really great to me. And we raised $1,500 by auctioning just nine of those. So I've been doing all of these little things. Um, I'm working on uh, three books um, that might be combined into one uh, about, about my 40 years in the business. Um, wow. And so, so I'm, I, I feel like I'm, I'm looking forwards, you know, creating new curriculum and doing different things. But at the same time, I'm in this kind of looking back and honoring the people and the memories and the times and the objects that I've accumulated from all of this stuff. So, um, I'm still very much in in whatever the business is as it keeps changing and laughing at people who are screaming at Spotify because you get get Spotify to triple the amount of money they're paying people. It's still nothing. That is not the fight. Um, meanwhile, we sold 500 copies of this double album, but because they're intricate and handmade, We've raised, I think, $38,000, which I don't, that's like 10 million streams on Spotify, you know? So I'm just, yeah. I think we all said back in the 70s, we're all in our own world and punk this and make your own future. But I I've, I've really feel like this year, this last year that I've been doing that. Sorry, that was wow. a long yes. answer to oh, your question. But and, and no, it's really a great start um, because you've got you're you're working in craft, you're working in art, you're working in recall and memory and celebration, and creating new music and creating new intellectual property and relationships and boosting people. So you're you're taking so many bites at the creative apple right now. Um, I'm going to take you back in distant history. What was Martin like? as a little kid, were you this creative? I'm doing everything at the same time person. I know much of your life has been phenomenal drummer work and drumming work, but what was the, the vision of what you thought you were doing when you were a 10 year old? Um, well, I started playing drums when I was nine. Um, but I, I think I don't want to disagree with you about my drumming work. Um, but I, I think that I've really pushed the envelope all the way around i happen to also be a drummer you know um, okay. um uh, w when i was young um uh, i think i was just reading i posted on facebook my school report from when i was 14 15 and it was just horrifying i my high grades were c plus you know i have a master's degree now but back then it was like lax application should try harder. 
uh, just pure ADD, ADHD, you know, diagnosis in in loving handwritten cursive from all of these teachers who didn't seem to really like me very much. Um, so I started playing. I used to play drums for three or four hours a day, and that's all I did. Um, it was only once. Uh, it's something else, though. You know, my dad worked his way up from the factory floor of a of a, a wool mill, spinning mill, um, to become a managing director in charge of three thousand employees, and he used to play games with me that he designed to to uh, to use with management trainees. So, and I was thinking about this the other day. Where did I get this, I mean, other than maybe genetically, where did, where did I get this other side to me where I'd be like, well, well there's 10,000 people in this venue. We don't have shirts. If we'd sold 1,000 shirts of this much money, you know, not looking for money, but looking for creative independence. And so I clearly had some of my dad's management skills somewhere. But in the beginning, it was all just a mess. It all just came out very strangely for a, um, at the age of 19, 20, uh, uh, to be in Johnny Rotten's band, drunk probably. Um, there was also a lot of drugs around back then. Um, for someone like me to also be spouting managerial uh, um, uh, strategies, was just just seems kind of crazy. So, how did you end up in the band? How did I end up in Public Image how did Limited? You end up getting to be that nineteen-year-old. Um, uh, well, so I started playing when I was nine. I played in cover bands all over the northeast of England. I played eight shows a week, seven nights, Sunday afternoons. We would back strippers at Newcastle Labour Club for like a twelve-year-old. You know, it was ridiculous, and. Um, so I played a lot. I was playing all the time. And um, so I, I was pretty good. By the time I was 15, 16, I was really good. And um, I, I wanted to move up and move up. Uh, I went to London for some auditions. And I saw, just as I was leaving London, I saw an ad, a drummer required for a band with a rather well-known singer. And I knew it was Johnny Rotten from the Sex Pistols' next project. I called the number, hello, Virgin Records. I'm like, oh, my goodness, it is him. And it was John's new band. But I had to go back up north that that morning. I said, can I have an audition this afternoon? They're like, no, auditions are Friday. And I knew as I headed back up to, up to the north of England, I was only 16, I think, um, I'd made a mistake. I should have stayed down there. I basically turned around, moved to London, and then – started to keep calling the record label. Um, persistence would be the key. So I'm talking to the label. Is John around? Do they need a drummer? What's going on? Fortunately, the band, uh, Public Image Limited, from 78, 77 onwards, was extremely volatile. Um, they set fire to one drummer. So why I'm thinking this is a job for to me. To the themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, um, so, so they went through about six drummers in the first year and a half 
and I was always calling, um, usually too late because I read about it in the papers. Um, but then I got to know the people at the record label, Jeanette, who was managing the band. At one point, somebody accidentally gave me a home number. I end up speaking to Jeanette's mother, you know. And so when the fifth person quit or was fired or was set on fire, I called and they asked me to go and play on a song, uh, which strangely I thought would be a, a rehearsal room. It was the townhouse studios where Phil Collins recorded in the air tonight. Queen recorded there. I mean, it was, it was crazy for a 19, 20 year old kid. And, um, we recorded a song that went on a, a, a very famous PIL album called The Metal Box, which is still in print to this day or reprinted. Three 12-inch singles in a metal canister. Um, and then I was in the band. We did something called The John Peel Show, a very famous live radio uh, thing. Um, we went to Paris. My first two shows in Paris were released as a live album. Next thing you know, I'm on a plane to the U.S. in 1980. Um, we're playing to three to 10,000 people. We do American Bandstand, and, and and there we go. So meanwhile, your father was someone who'd worked himself off the shop floor. What did he think of all this? Um, well, oh, wow, this is a lot. This is a lot to jump into. Um so at this point it's like this right well, so for some my people it's an ex well for some people it's an accelerant right that their parents are saying go forth go do go be inspired and for other people it's the don't go a creative route because there's no way to succeed and you jumped right into the deep end was your family excited about that or did it take a while for them to kind of go what uh, the heck is martin up to so my dad said to me so my dad was absent. He was a managing director of a company. So he's in Europe buying machinery in Italy and being wined and dined by governments because the, the orders for machinery were so large. And so I was kind of frightened of my dad. And he bought me a drum kit when I was nine. Um, if, he bought me, if he bought me some grass seed and, and, a, and a rake, this would be a very different conversation, you know. Um, but he bought me a drum kit. And so I played for four hours a night and okay, dad, you know, so my hands bled sometimes. So he got me an apprenticeship when I left school and I was still playing in clubs and my mom and dad would come and see me play in a working men's club, you know, watching us do these cover songs and some original songs. But when it got to the point where I'm like, I'm playing eight shows a week, I'm earning four times the money as a, as a musician than I am as an apprentice manager kid. Um, I was falling asleep at work. And in the disciplinary meeting, to discipline me for falling asleep, I fell asleep. So, <laughs> uh, but and my dad said to me, if, if you choose drumming over this job, you're going to end up working down a mine and I'm going to wash my hands of you. And I'm sitting here now, it's kind of like, yeah, F you, Dad. But then as a 17-year-old maybe, 
I mean, that was earth shattering, you know. And so um, I did it anyway. I quit. Um, actually, I, I met with the personnel officer at, at the company I was at. And um, they'd invested a lot of money. They sent me to night school for two years, you know. And, and this, this guy, Peter Bowser was his name. And thank goodness, he, he didn't tow the company line. He should have said, you've got to knuckle down and do this. We've invested all this money in you. He's like, go home. He said, clearly, you're going around in circles. Go home, get a big piece of paper, put a line down the piece of paper, and put all the reasons you should stay here on one side and all the reasons you should go and do this drumming thing on the other side. And bring it back to me tomorrow and we'll talk about it. Well, there was a hundred things on the I should go drum side. It was like three things on the other side. It's like, well, it's obvious. You've got to go and do this thing. He nearly got fired because of that. Um, And so that set up a conflict between me and my dad because, you know, within two years I was on the front cover of Melody Maker. I was on BBC Radio 1. Um, Within two months after that, I was on live television in the U.K., you know, and television at that time was different. There was three channels. And so most of the UK was looking at one. I mean, it was a big deal. And so suddenly I'm this hero, which I'm like, oh, oh, I don't need your support now. Right. I could have used your support when I moved to London and I worked for the government and I did this and I did that, you know. And so there was a couple of years of animosity and then they started to come and see me play with Johnny Rotten and, um, but, but, but all the way through, all the way through, I mean, I've been doing this, I'm 61 now. I've been doing this since I was nine and I've kind of been independent since leaving school at the age of 16. Um, every so often he'd say to me, is it, you think it's time now to get a job? You know, and I'm like, yeah, no, I've got a job. It's being me, you know. And um, um, I think even like 16 years ago, I wrote my first book called Tour Smart, which is like a huge old phone book. It's huge. And I was, he, he'd been ill for a while. I was so desperate to, for him to see it, you know, to see this other side of me to like, hey, dad, you know, I, maybe the drumming thing you didn't think was legit. But, you know, I wrote a book and I'm teaching. And, um, I mean, bless him. He was like, um, I think he thought the way to show me he'd read the book deeply was to point out some of the flaws with the book. But by that point, by that point, I'm like. Hey, do we have the same father? (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I don't know what that school is like. You know, I'm going to show you I really care instead of just going, well done. All I wanted to hear was, well done, you know. And and so it's like, yeah, there's a couple of things I probably would have done differently. And it's like, at that point, I was just outwardly laughing, but inwardly still hurt, you know. I mean, he's a very different generation. And English dad, English 70s dad versus me being, you know, over here in America, I'd say to him, Oh, anyway, Dad, I'm on a phone call. Anyway, Dad, I love you. And he'd be like, oh, <laughs> uh, yes, well, everybody at this end sends their best. Like, okay. Yeah. 
strange, strange stuff to think so about. So meanwhile, me. you've taken your life in fabulous directions and you've made many direct decisions to turn left and turn right, to, to create new bands, to create new creative endeavors. What are the biggest great choices you've made? Um, well, I think an important thing to, to mention would be that like once you're in it, once you're in stuff, like it would be easy for me to say, well, starting my label, you know, I put out 350 albums on my label and sort of started it in 1988. But, but it was just like, F everybody who won't listen to my music. I'd already been in PIL for five years, wrote, co-wrote the biggest, still their biggest selling single. Um, it was like, okay, I'm not going to keep knocking on your door and, and even open myself up to the possibility of being rejected. I'm just going to do this, you know? So I did it. I started a label and I like to ask my students, how much money did I have when I started my label? What did I need? They're like, oh, 50 grand, 100 grand. I'm like, $60. I started my label with $60, and that's, which is great for students to hear. Um, but it was just like, well. But also, you probably didn't have what they would now have this gorgeous business plan and everything else and no. have done test marketing, and that's not the dance. No, and I learned some of it. the – well, I learned some of the words for this uh, – uh, uh, experience prime decision make i don't know what some of the words are for this kind of stuff but i learned some of them while i was getting my master's degree and then forgot all of them um but but as i said once you're in it they don't feel like decisions right you know when you're in a world you see the things coming at you when you just wheel you just dodge and weave and you do the things so um i started my label as a fu to anybody who wouldn't sign me and we created some momentum. And then I had this machinery that legitimately could release some larger things that I wasn't involved with. So there's, there's some diversification, you know, slightly by accident. And then when I started this thing called Pigface, which is this band that I still have now with about 500 different members, um, once again, I thought, well, this one of five labels is going to give me money to do this. And thank goodness nobody did. Because I met with a guy with, uh, with distribution and manufacturing. And he said, well, Martin, I don't want to do it either. But I'll manufacture and distribute your label. And you should do it yourself. I'm like, what the I'm like okay. You know, you know, so it was just the best option at the time. And we sold 12,000 copies in a week, 70,000 copies in a year. And and that gave me the financial base to do to mess around and do some other things. And once I'd released 12, 14, 15 albums, and you start to have money going out to recording studios and other people, um, it's not genius level. I mean, I actually I sat there and I and I said, Yeah, with all the money I'm spending on recording studios, huh, I could start one. Oh, ping, you know, so, so I started my own, I started my own <laughs> studio. I actually negotiated a $27,000 studio invoice down 
to $11,000. And the money that I saved, I put into my own studio. And I started my own studio. And once I had my own bare bone studio, <clears throat> it existed then when another opportunity came along and I didn't quite have the equipment I needed. I'm like, well, this opportunity will pay for the equipment I need to do this opportunity and it would upgrade my studio. So then I've got an upgraded studio, which is still have to this day, you know? And um, so these aren't, these weren't necessarily creative choices. They were situations that arose because I was doing stuff, you know? Um, that, that's a really interesting question. Um, you know, my, my eldest, uh, Ian, is 24, he's 25, because it's my 25th anniversary in January 2021, and he was a, he was a, he was like eight months old, he was at our wedding, you know. Um, it's good to keep so, track of those dates, by the way, from personal perspective. <laughs> yeah. um, you need to so, know those dates. So I think all kinds of things happen when you're a parent. Um, and I, I don't know if that was the kind of responsibility you were saying, but but it, it there's a parental relationship between band members. Or, or sometimes or, having family members or employees, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but but the music, and, and so there's definitely a kind of a, <gasps> yeah. But, but as I have said often, playing it safe is the most dangerous thing you can do, you know, in the music business. It's not like it's, I'm not in the, the, men's tweed suit business you know uh, i'm in the freaking music business where it's like what crazy insane stuff is going on this week you know so um we just did pig face 2019 and we had three drummers and three bass players and 10 people singing and it's like the spectacle um the craziness saves it if you play it safe and here we are pig face there's five of us like, okay. I remember when there's 20 people on stage, you know, if there was 20 people on stage, there needs to be 30 just so it's as crazy as people remember it. And so differentiation is a huge part of, of success, but also I wanted my kids to see me doing the shit that I do in its full glory, not, I don't want them to see it and go, oh, you should have seen it 10 years ago when there's four drummers. You know, I want, just want them to see the spectacle. And um, so being a parent drives all, all kinds of uh, different motivations, you know? And then I'd rather um, use my skills to look at safety nets that can be constructed um, rather than avoid a situation in the first place, if that makes sense. So I think I, sometimes I might say something like... Mixed total some, sense. Yeah, sometimes the solution to the big problem you've created for yourself lies within the big problem you created for yourself. You know, So I had 27 people on stage. And so we invested some more money and bought some digital recording equipment and recorded all of the shows... And that's how I was able to release the double live album with these photo inserts and a folded out poster and all this other stuff. 
which has generated the money that would zero out the losses from that tour, you know, if that makes sense. Totally makes sense. So you keep adding complexity to your life. So you um, work in bands, starting your own bands, starting a label, music publishing, writing books, teaching. Do you ever take things out? Do you ever say this has gotten to be too much, too crazy? I'd like to focus or I'd like to not focus, but I have so many balls in the air. How do you, this is, we're recording this in January, 2021, as people are thinking about what the bleep am I doing this coming year after the past year of insanity? Do you do you sit down and say, okay, I'm going to reevaluate my portfolio of fabulous crazy? I mean, do, do you sit and think about it rationally, or do you let the experience move you and simply add more to the fold? The number two. <laughs> so so I I don't uh, <laughs> I don't know. I I don't know. I I tell bands all the time, you can sit in your rehearsal room all you want. But, and, and, you know, song number five, the 12 minute long sitar, instrumental, 12 string xylophone. It's like, oh my God, it's the best song we've ever, ever written. You play it live once when everybody runs for the doors, it's a shit song. Stop playing it. Right. So without, without feedback, without the feedback, what's the point? You know, so um, I've added a few things. Uh, this this last 12 months, we started doing Zoom um, sessions. Um, uh, we changed our music industry conference to online. Um, I started doing free online touring classes. Um, and you just, it's like, okay, and, and I get tired. Uh, but I've done over 80 events in the last 12 months. And we have now close to 8,000 people in a wow. database that we've, we spent time with and we've also played that game which i really like of like pay what you want so you know if i spend three days working through my archives to talk about a particular period in the band's history i could say well this has value my time is valuable but that makes perfect sense unless you're someone without any money who's a huge fan of of that band and that time period so we, we've been doing pay what you want, reminding people that that can include zero. Um, and, and so you'll see that 280 people sign up for an event. And I think I saw lots of free uh, to the point where I'm like, okay, I guess I'm pleased I'm doing this. But we made $1,100 from, from people. Some people get, here's $100. This is fantastic. So we're playing some, uh, they're not games. They're, they're kind of trust games. Um, but we're, we're, we're doing a lot of that. Um, and I'm reluctant to stop doing anything right now because I'm not sure where everything is going. I stopped playing drums for maybe a decade. You know, I started teaching. Because I was teaching, there wasn't a textbook for touring, so I wrote one. And then people started asking me to speak. So, and I thought that would be easy because I'd been on stage all my life, but um, I hadn't been on stage standing with a microphone and a PowerPoint. Um, 
So it took me a while to get my sea legs with that. But then I started to really enjoy that. I think I spent eight years. You know, I mean, I keynoted Melbourne Music Week. I went to Norway five times. You know, I've been all over the world speaking. Um, and I still do that. But so it's not that I'm doing 10 things. I've got 10 things that I can do. And sometimes it's these five and sometimes it's these five. And then it's a little bit of this. And then it, it is what it is. So I, I let situations uh, guide my activity. I'm not going to decide, hey, it's, t- it's time I did this. How has teaching added to the work? I don't mean to the burden of the work, but you bring a, a great portfolio of experiences to a fairly young population who's coming in with possibly interest and enthusiasm, but not yet burnished to the to the opportunity. How has that all come together? Um, well, so I love teaching. Um, it, I think it's a huge responsibility. Oh, my goodness. Um, so I really strive to, how would I describe it? Like ring the reality bell, but being conscious of if you think you can, you can. If you think you can't, you can both of those things are true, right? Um, ring the reality bell without deafening somebody or driving them out of the building. Um, be encouraging but realistic. And I've had people say to me, we made love to your album or we conceived this child, to, you know, or your music got me through this difficult period in my life. And that's really cool. But when somebody says that series of lessons and that book really changed the course of my life or how I look at this, that's that's incredibly awesome. So um, I think what I've gotten out of teaching is this crazy rare gift of me. Act- I mean, I'm hopelessly ADD. But I've actually sat down and thought about record label strategies or touring or this experience or that experience. And it's caused me to actually reflect and learn from my own experience. You know, and sometimes it, a couple of slides have taken me like three years to get, you know, the, one of my South by Southwest slides uh, always say yes to everything. Like, I was actually standing in, I was at South by Southwest looking at that when I'm like, oh shit, I should do that because I'm very shy. And I would, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. You said you're very shy? Yeah. And okay. so, so actually when I spoke That's definitely at South- not my, my perspective of you. <laughs> well, okay. But so. Um, you're, a, you're a man of boldness and perspective. Okay. Well, I was at South by Southwest EDU and, and spoke. And then I went to a thing, met the met, met, met uh, Mr. Adler, the mayor of Austin. All the stuff was going on. And I was, I get more tired from speaking than I do from drumming. You know, I could drum for four hours and be less tired than speaking for an hour. And um, so I'm by the elevators at the hotel and this bunch of Canadians like, hey, we saw you speak. Fuck, 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 fuck. Pardon my French, but that right, they were, that's what they said to me because I'd said it a lot. They're like, come and join us for sushi. And I, and I was about to say, ah, I'm really tired. And I'm like, always say yes to everything. Think of your own 
slide, you know? So I said, yes, let me just go and change my shirt, you know? Um, and I think they looked at me and they saw like, ah, we're never seeing this guy again. And I'm like, nah, I'm just going to go change my shirt. I'll be right back. This is the new me. This is the always say yes to everything me, you know? And, and But weirdly, I pressed the wrong button in the elevator. I couldn't get the key in my door. I was fumbling with my buttons. I'm like, my my body is trying to mess up this opportunity because being shy, going out to dinner with a bunch of people you don't know, is it's harder than being on stage with a microphone, you know. And um, so I got outside just as they were like, they'd given up and they were getting ready to pull away in an Uber and I joined them for dinner or whatever. So I, I get value from my own reflections and lectures. And, you know, I, I'll tweet sometimes. Uh, sometimes all you can do is the dishes. You know, this, this huge problem and that huge problem. Um, I don't know what the solutions are, but if you do the dishes, sometimes the act of doing the dishes calms you down. The solution might come to you. And even if it doesn't, the dishes are done, you know, and um, that happened to me with my friends from Dark Matter Coffee. So, you know, um, you, you see my tweets in the morning, get the F out of bed, mm -hmm. whatever. Well, that mm -hmm. I turned. I appreciate I, them most mornings. Some mornings not, but yeah, most mornings. Yeah. Well, I turned that tweet into my own brand of coffee. I have my own brand of coffee through Dark I Matter I didn't coffee. know that. That's so cool. And, oh, and, wow. And, uh, I mean, it's been like the number two seller for the last three years. And it's been really great for me to, to rub shoulders with coffee entrepreneurs who actually release vinyl music, cassette tapes, collaborate with breweries and bands and beer. They have their own band and all kinds of stuff. But when, when they were frozen... Uh, creatively frozen by the lockdown. I went up there just to say hi. And I was frightened when I left because they, they have 107 employees and my crazy creative friends were freaking out. And I came home and I, this is my equivalent of doing the dishes. I did this. I changed my get the F out of bed brand to a, Stay the F inside. These are just simple brown paper bags. And I did the equivalent of the dishes. I just screen printed 100 bags and signed them. And I went, hey, because their supply chain is like a 12-week turnaround. Um, I went up there three days later. Here's my new brand of coffee. Stay the F inside. They, and I felt like, oh, I did something. Well, they paired it with a bag of my regular coffee. And over the next 10 days, sold 300 combinations and generated $15,000. So I'm like, okay. So I did the equivalent of the dishes. I just, <laughs> I screen printed some bags, which calmed me down, which showed them that creativity can be a force to be reckoned with. And I made a material difference to them. And, and that started us on a path that uh, we ended up doing, stay the F inside, T-shirts. We helped. <laughs> we helped. Uh, we helped venues all over the country, and um, we actually did the stay the f inside tour 
with my band Pigface, we did a live stream. It wasn't a live stream. It was a broadcast of a five-camera video from our last show in 2019. And we, we gave ticket separate ticket codes to 57 venues around the country and one in Tokyo. And we let them sell tickets and we split the money with them, even though it wasn't much work for them. You know, some of them just put out a, a, an email um, and we raised a few thousand dollars um, to do that. So we've been trying to do some little things and make a difference where we can, you know. All from doing the dishes, all from sitting and doing what you can do. Um, Martin, mm-hmm. I'm so glad you said yes to us and to being on this conversation. Is there anything you'd like to mention we haven't talked about? Well, there's a lot. <laughs> um, but um, uh, I, I'm, I'm definitely, in talking through some of these things, uh, I'm, I'm, I know that lots of smart people strategize stuff and plan things out. And that's great. You should think about stuff. But also, you know, best laid plans, right? I mean, most of the stuff that's happened to me has happened because I put myself in situations. Um, it would be easy for me to say, you know, so then uh, at that point in my life, I wrote a book and I spoke all over the world. That was an accident. I was asked to teach by accident. I went to get interns from Columbia College, Chicago. And, they, and I did a presentation about touring. And they said, when can you start? And I'm like, I could take interns now. And they said, when could you start teaching? And I honestly said, what do you talk, teach what? What are you talking about? Left school when I was 16. And uh, they said, you should teach touring. You obviously know what you're talking about. I'm like, okay. And I thought that was an opportunity. But it turned out that there wasn't a textbook. So I wrote one. And I thought that that was the opportunity. And it was good. But going all over the world, going to South America, um, and going around the world, more places than I've been playing my drums was an opportunity, you know. So, um, and this is all just because I put myself in situations and uh, reacted to them and, and tried to be open, you know. So that is, I think, worth mentioning. Excellent. And I appreciate you're also talking about being an introvert to this as that comes up a lot in with my students at UCLA is they think to make all of this work, you have to be this extrovert and be out there and be comfortable with that. And then you've created opportunities, despite the fact that's not your native space and the fact that it exhausts you sometimes to step into these spaces. And so the fact that there's this opportunity, the ability to take opportunities and introversion and create something with people and with ideas and to take a bite without necessarily having to eat the whole pie um, or ending up eating the whole pie the hard way. So I appreciate all this. Martin, I know we could talk forever because you've done so much, but sorry, go ahead. No, I I was going to say something. There's there's something cool about being introverted. And like, you know, I'm here in my basement in Chicago, which at some point might end up being a museum with all of this rubble around me. But um, uh, sometimes the World Wide Web makes us think we've got to be doing stuff out in the world. And you can make a difference. I made a difference with these with these bags. You can make a difference doing small things in, on your kitchen table, you know. And I think 
people lose sight of that. Like, yeah, we're going to look at office space. I'm like, you don't need an office space. You need a kitchen table. You need space in your head. And um, just you need to do stuff. You need to do stuff. Martin, if someone wants to reach out to you, how should or could they reach out to you or find you? Um, Twitter is easy. Martine, M-A-R-T-E-E-E-E-N, four E's. Um, uh, you can find me at martinatkins.com. If you're interested in, uh, I think there's a free download of my 600-page book, Band Smart. There's 400 contributors to that book. It's pretty decent. Um, that's a free download up there. Um, and then you can sign up and get newsletters from me uh, from there too. Thank you for joining us. And thank you for sharing your world, your coffee bags from your soon-to-be museum in the Chicago. Thanks, Gigi. It's nice to talk. Thanks for listening to Creative Innovators. We are expanding our footprint, so we invite you to go to creativeinnovatorspodcast.com and find us on Substack where we are creating a new matrix of our past shows that you can find them more easily and find them along with the career adventure guide content where you can take your own career and use some of the tools in the setup to both be inspired by past episodes of Creative Innovators as well as become a bigger and better creative innovator yourself. We're also launching in a couple of other platforms this year. So stay tuned and join our lists and, and find out where else you can find and combine with creative innovators in 2024. <music>